Igniting well is the pursuit of a lifetime. You may be at mile marker one of this wonderful life journey and thinking for the first time about embracing the life of a writer. Or maybe you're further along and ready to publish some of your ideas. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are fellow travelers on this extended road trip to improve our writing and publish our ideas. We hope this podcast helps you make progress on your writing journey. Now, let's buckle up and write. I signed up to write a book, but I didn't sign up to also market my book. That sentiment is common among book writers. The work to build future book buyers can feel overwhelming. Our guest today is Anne Janser, an authority in the marketing industry and an author herself. Who knows a thing or two or five or six or seven or eight about marketing nonfiction books effectively? Anne helps nonfiction authors find their audience with joy. In fact, Anne tells us it doesn't need to be painful. Today, Anne will share invaluable insights on what nonfiction writers really need to know when setting out to market their books and how being a servant author will change everything. So settle in and let's unravel the intricacies of nonfiction book marketing with Anne. Welcome, Anne, to our podcast. We're so excited to have you today to talk about marketing, which, as you know, is such a difficult concept, activity to do when you're new to the book writing journey. So we're happy to have you here to help demystify it and provide some real strategies for our audience. Thanks. I hope that I can help people with this exciting and long-lasting part of the writing journey. So if you could start out by just telling us your journey to becoming a marketing expert, how did you get to where you are today offering this advice to other people on how to market? Well, it's funny and it's maybe relevant to your listeners, which is I got into marketing entirely by accident through writing. It was entirely inadvertent. I was working many years ago at this little tech startup as the documentation writer for a little company. It was two, it was three people when I started. They hired a VP of marketing and he turned and he looked at me and he said, well, you know, you know the product and you know the business problems in the audience. So why don't you be a product marketing manager? I was an English major. You know, I have no background in marketing. He said, that's all right. You'll figure it out. And that is true. I mean, I learned everything about it in the trenches. I did a lot of reading, but marketing changes so quickly and it's not something that you must have studied as a formal discipline in business school or as an undergrad. That's just not the case. And a lot of it is things that we can absorb by watching what's going on around us, things that we can just pay attention, be curious, think about how we want to connect with the audience. If you know your product, you know your audience needs, you have the fundamentals of what you need to do marketing. So I think the first thing is to demystify that part of it. So then I spent years as a marketing consultant. After working with this company, I decided to go freelance. I was a marketing consultant for over 100 tech companies. And most of my work had to do with content marketing and content generation. So again, that link of writing and creating content that would support business objectives. So that's what I did. And then I started writing books. And my first book was about marketing. 
So, you know, you know, formal training to writing a book about marketing. There you go. And my books since then have been about writing. What are you observing right now in the landscape in the changing marketing okay. world? So it is changing and it's changing all the time. I mean, when I started this, it was late 90s. So, I mean, I remember it's like, what is this? We got to write a web page? What's the World Wide Web? You know, I mean, so, so clearly there's been a huge shift. I was doing uh, print content, things like that. But I think that's the point is that the world around us is changing all the time. So we can't cling to one way of doing things. More recently, I, I wrote my marketing book in 2016. It came out 2015. <laughs> Forgotten now. It was about how the subscription economy is changing the way we think about the vendors we want to do business with and those relationships. And I think I talked about the importance of delivering value, but also earning trust. And I think that that still comes through today as an emerging thing that we are all thinking about. Do we trust the businesses that we do business with? AI brings up, is this person writing this thing? Is this who, who's writing this thing I'm reading? There's trust there. So we are always, and if we, if we flip back to the word world of books, we're looking for authors that we trust. We're looking for books to give us trustworthy recommendations. As authors, we would like to be able to form a kind of relationship with our reader. And isn't that really what writing is? It's forming a relationship on that's mediated through the words on paper with readers. And so I think to double down on thinking about the relationship that you want to have and the relationship that you want to embody with your reader is one way to think not only about how to write your book and how you should show up, but how to then promote your book and and market, let's say, market your book or really to get it in the hands of the people that are the other half of that relationship. I have heard this, and I know this to be true, having published my own books, is that fact that that the mass market is dead, right? And it's been dead for many, many years. And I remember Seth Godin, you know, the great marketer talking about these, the minimal viable audience. And how do you as a marketer help the people who have, let's say, a book or a book that they're beginning to write, think about their future audience? We almost can't talk about marketing and promoting a book without talking about writing the book because it's really all integrated. So that the question I ask authors who I work with, whether it's as a developmental editor or after when the book is done, is who are the people that you really want to serve with this book and how are you serving them? So I talk about this idea of servant authorship. And when we put so much from the writing to the marketing into that framework, it becomes simpler, it becomes easy, and it becomes, it feels less stressful. It's not like, how can I get as many people to buy my book as possible, which is a stressful kind of question, <laughs> at least for me. But how can I get this book into the hands of the people who are going to get the most value from it? So one thing is to really be careful about choosing an audience that you're going to serve really, really well. So that the, the you've all had people come to you and say, my book is for everybody, right? I mean, <laughs> we've all heard this. It's like, but everybody would love this. It's like, well, that's great. But you will get further by 
identifying a smaller group of people that you can serve really well, and then they will help you spread the word. So I, I like to use the analogy of, of uh, picking a pond or the analogy of being a big fish in a small pond. So can you identify a pond that you can really make a splash in, serve a lot of people really well? And the thing about ponds is that, at least in certain parts of the country, they're interconnected via waterways, right? And so you might make a big splash in this one pond, and then there's an adjacent pond. Other readers, this pre people will recommend the book to someone else. My favorite example of this is, <laughs> have you guys read any of Marie Kondo's life-changing magic of, okay, so... I, I read the book, like millions of people are at the book. Now, she wrote this book for people who are willing to take every possession they own and put it in a pile in the middle of the floor and then sort through them and say, well, does this give me joy or does this not? I, I'm just going to bet that most of the millions of people who read her book did not do that. I did not do that. Or I certainly did not. I am not part of that core audience. Yet, I got something really interesting from that book. I enjoyed reading it and I did find some useful ideas in there as I went through moving and trying to simplify my life. So she chose her very specific pond, and then it ended up crossing the ocean, right? It ended up being a huge book. So if you can serve one or two distinct audiences really, really well, it doesn't mean that you're limiting it, your book, to those audiences. It means that you're getting a community of people who really find value from this once you kind of hit a certain saturation point, once your book has reached a certain number of hands, then things start to happen without you having to push them so hard. So to try to write a book for everyone is to try to go out in the ocean and make a dent. And that's really, really hard. It's not that it can't be done, but it's really hard. I love that idea of servant authorship and by continuation, servant author marketing ship. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how you would say but servant authorship in marketing. And how, what does that look like being a servant author in marketing? Can you give some strategies or some ideas of what this looks like? It means to to to, to put aside some of the, the garbage bad ideas about marketing in your head. Like this is dirty. I should be a pure artiste. I, you know, I, I shouldn't muddy my hands with marketing, right? Just leave that all be. Your objective is again, to get your book into the hands of as many people who are really going to find value from it as possible. So now you're not doing this for yourself, for the numbers, for the excitement of seeing the bestseller tag. You're doing it to serve people. So that gives you a different motivation. So what does that look like? Well, how do I serve people? And this starts to get into what are some of the ideas of how you might market and promote your book. One is to be generous with the content is to share excerpts, share ideas so that people know what's in the book and you can find that match between your book and and the people who need it, right? How, how will they know what it is without, without seeing some of the content? Be generous with your time and your ideas. You can do podcast interviews, case in point. You can reach people who are interested in the topic by talking about talking on podcasts on the topic. And we're talking nonfiction here. Nonfiction authors sometimes build communities of people who are among their sweet spot in the audience and serve the community. There's tremendous value in being part of a community, right? We all 
crave this. And if you can create that even a little bit for the people you serve, then you've done something valuable for them. What are the best places to create that community? Obviously, social media is a place that people create communities, but are there other places that you've seen authors successfully create community? Yes. Yeah, so there are there are actually software programs for creating community. And I'm, I'm mixed on those because I've, I've joined a few, but I just never think to go over there. You know, so I, I'm not sure about that. Uh, there's in-person communities, which is something that was on hold for quite a while, as you know, recently. I feel almost like I have created a community through my email list. I'm going to talk about the importance of email list because I think that's something that's really important, especially for the nonfiction author. But I've tried to make my email list somewhat interactive and I'm trying to build in more community. During the pandemic for a while, I was doing once every other week webinars for everyone there, webinars or Zoom meetings. So people would have a chance to be connected. The writers groups were shut down and, and I thought it would be nice to, to give people a community there. So it does, doesn't have to be something that's within a formal structured community software thing. I know a lot of writers do Facebook groups, things like that. You know, there's so many ways to do this, to think about community and, and, and add it. And it can be small or large, but I do feel like making people feel like they're part of a group is, is really helpful. And it helps you. It, it gives you back the impetus you need to keep going. When you see the effect of your work on others, that's fuel. When you look for ideas, I mean, I've, I've then, as I've been working on new books, shot things out to or done a survey of people on my email list, or I've webinared some ideas on it and got people's feedback. I mean, it's, it's a two-way street, and it definitely benefits you as well as the author to create a bit of a community around the work that you do. How do you help people who are just starting out? sort through of all the things they should do and what might work best for them? This is such an important question. This is really what I want to get to. As people are bombarded with advice for things they should do, right? And marketing, as you mentioned, you know, can come early. It should come early in the, as you think about how the book and how you're positioning it. And once you've published it, once you've published a book, you are not done. You haven't done your work of getting it into the hands of the readers, right? Your your work isn't completed until your book is being read and valued. So yeah. that can go on quite a long time. So marketing your book becomes now a part of your life at some level. Mm. What you have to do is pick something that you have to do the things that you are comfortable with. What we need to do is find the the perfect intersection. And 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 you've you've explained it a bit. So you've got your audience, your readers, where they are. If you were exclusively on TikTok, you would be losing those who are not on TikTok. And then also what you personally are comfortable doing, what you can inhabit in your life and can become part of your life. So obviously you enjoy doing the podcast. You're doing this one. So you did a fly fishing podcast. This is a skill set that you either had or you developed. It's so interesting because I think that book marketing is really a growth opportunity. So not only should you figure out your strengths, but you can actually discover new strengths and develop new strengths. If, however, you try something, you go, oh my, 
I just detest doing video. I can't do videos. Then don't do videos. It doesn't matter if people tell you you need to do videos. You just say, yes, but my life is only so big and I'm not doing videos. That's that's okay. You can't do everything. You need to decide how much of yourself, how much of your creative self and your time and your budget you're willing to put into different things. And it's. I would rather see an author do one thing really, really well than five things poorly. That's why I talk about doing the things that give you a sense of community because they can feed back to you. And that's a lovely self-fueling cycle for your book marketing. I want to go back to what you said about you having an email list. So is that foundational? You must have your email list and then you look at all these other add-on potential marketing venues or tell me where the email list and Uh sending out emails resides in your marketing framework. I like to say, if you're building an author platform, there's, you need at least three out of four things. You, you You can choose to abandon one of them, but you have to have the other three if you do that. First is a website, author website, book website, Generally, I suggest author website, because if you want to do more than one book, how many websites do you want to spend your time managing? But you'd simply in this world need a place that you own where people can find you and not just a social media presence. I mean, what site is Elon going to buy next? We don't know. So so make sure you own own your site. The second thing is an email list. And for me, this is really fundamental. Like I said, I've actually ended up building community through my email list. It is my most consistent marketing platform. I I try to constantly provide value through it. For a long time, I did posts once a week. And then a couple of years ago, I'm like, you know, I see a lot of people save up these posts to read on the weekends anyway. Maybe I'm just overwhelming them. So I'll go to every other week. People are totally happy with every other week. And it was half the amount of work for me. So I'm like, okay, Every other week, I can do that. That's the consistent, structured. If you're nonfiction, there should be a lot of things that you could blog about that would people would find useful. I also do, I do like a monthly book-related, writing-related book drawing to my list. It's like, hey, the book of this month is this and such. Email me back. And tell me if you want to enter the drawing. And then I just pick, pick a name and send them the book. And yeah. that way I feel like, well, even if they're not interested in the topic of this posts, maybe they'll like the book. You know, there's still value in opening my emails. And that's what I'd like to do is always be giving values. So we have the two posts, two things so far, website, email list, social media presence. Social media depends on where your people are. As you mentioned, you know, there's, there's TikTok, there's LinkedIn there, you know, nonfiction, sometimes more LinkedIn. YouTube, if you're into that, you know, all of these, these options, Facebook. And then the fourth thing is what I'm going to call IRL, you know, in the real world presence. If you're speaking, if you're teaching, if you're getting out and among people, if you're best friends with Oprah or Reese Witherspoon or something, you know, that might count too. So if you are best friends with Oprah, you can neglect going on social media or you can neglect the email list. Perhaps, you know, just drop one of those things. Okay, fine. But if you, yeah, if you really don't want to do social media, do an email list, try to do some real world, go talk at the library, just try to get out there, writing groups, something. Just try to do three out of those four things. 
And so for me, the email list is really a fundamental one. And I really encourage people. And I don't stress over the size of the email list. You see so much of this is like, how do you get to your first thousand, your first 2000? If you are really meeting the needs of a specific group of people who really are interested in what you have to say, and they've, they've signed up to connect with you, then you are going to get a much higher open rate. So if you have an email list of a thousand people, which is a you know generous email list, and half of them open it up versus an email list of 10,000 and only 5% open up. I mean, you get almost the same number of opens. You know, you just have to <laughs> look at the math. I don't believe in chasing the big numbers. I, I think it's I'd rather have the relationships with people. I want you to be on my email list only if you want to be on my email list and find value in reading those mails. What I love about what you're saying is it kind of puts the onus back on the writing. So if the writing is that good and you believe in your writing, then you you have to believe that when somebody reads this, they will pass it to someone else. Yeah. So I love this because what I hear you saying is it's okay to have smaller numbers because smaller numbers with a well-written book is always going to do better than larger numbers with, you know, something you threw together just so that you could say you wrote a book. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fundamental to this is the best marketing for a book has to be the book itself. The book has to be good at meet its audience's needs. You, you just, you have to do a well-written book. What about when... The author is in the middle of marketing their book. Maybe they're at the six to eight week mark. They don't have the sales that they thought they would have at this point. And they're thinking, oh, I'm doing everything wrong. What do you say to that person? I say, oh, you're just beginning. It's okay. Unless you've written something that is super timely about upcoming elections or something. Time is on your side. And it's okay to figure this out as you go. And you you may come out the gate strong or you may not. So I've done eight books. They have not all done the same. But my the second one, The Writer's Process, I put out and I really had no platform at all in this space. And I, you know, I worked very hard the first year to, to get those sales up. But it has just grown gradually over the years. And that's the best kind. That's that's the book that gets is being referred and shared. And there's no, there's no endpoint. You know, I've come back to that. I started figuring out one of the, the marketing tactics that I do use is to do occasional discount promotions, maybe once a year, knock the price way down. There's sites that you can use that will help share it. And this is useful for books with a wider market appeal, like my, my book just about writing. That's a, that's a much broader market than some of my more specific books. But writing a nonfiction book, that's that's a niche. One about writing in general, broader market. So you can use some of these sites that that help you reach readers you don't know how to reach otherwise, right? Outside of my first and second degree circles readers. So I've done discount book promotions and built it. And you know, you get it in a few hundred more hands and a few hundred more hands, and it turns out to a few thousand more hands and a few thousand more hands. And eventually it's like a teenager that grows up and is pretty self-reliant, but you just need to occasionally throw food at it. That's what we're, we're shooting for, for our books. Can you give us just some ballpark? Like how much do you discount a book? I mean, let's say it's 1995. What do you throw? 25%? Do you do some radical stuff like, hey, for this time only, it's 50%? What do you recommend? So, so far, because I'm lazy, 
And, and being lazy is is self-preservation for authors. So I'm saying that with full pride. Okay, I am lazy. So, so far, my I have really only applied the discounts used as, as short-term discounts to the e- ebook versions because it's so easy. You just change the price and then you set it back. Doing it to print versions is trickier. You've got to figure out printing costs and da, da, da. So I haven't been playing with those discounts as much. So on the ebook, because, hey, you know, it's an ebook, I am willing to do like 99 cents for a week. And then it's something of value that I can offer to my email list. If you haven't read this book and you're interested, it's only 99 cents. Go for it. You know, there's what's your risk? 99 cents. But it's a really nice way also to just get the hand in front of, get the book in the hands of other people who don't know you, haven't heard of the book. So it just de-risks it for them. It's like, well, it's got good reviews and it's 99 cents. I'll do that. And then I pop it back up. And I've done this and had really good results. And a couple things have happened. One is I have gotten a couple BookBub feature deals. And those are, those are golden when you get those. Because they'll move like 1,000 or 2,000 books. Would you explain is... that a little bit? So BookBub is a site. It's a book promotion site. They feature discounted books and they have email lists of people who are interested in discounted books. The thing about BookBub is it's super selective in terms of what books it will choose to offer as what they call a featured deal. So every day they'll send out an email to subscribers. Let's say you're interested in in history and whatever category fly fishing would be in. So those are the categories you're interested in. And when there's a new book in that category, you want to know. And they send you an email and they're like, these are the deals in your categories today. So people open those emails because they are love a good deal and love buying books, right? That's, that's your ideal audience. And BookBub's lists are so big and so high quality that they move a lot of books. So BookBub feature deal, it can be very expensive if you if you do manage to get one. In my category, it's like $700, 700 and something dollars, but it definitely pays back in terms of royalties for over time. Those are hard to get. They take persistence and, and it's easiest to do when your book is well-established. So traditional publishers use them for mid-list books by well-known authors. So your, your competition is mid-list books by, or backlist books by well-known authors. So in addition to indie books, it's, it's a mix of things. So how would that work? You submit the book. And if you're interested in doing this, I go get a reader account on BookBub so you can see what's going on. And it has to be, you submit the book. Say, I, 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 this is the book I want to submit. I'd like, I'm going to discount it to 99 or $1.99, whatever it may be that you're wanting to do. These are the categories it's in. And they will, they will give it a slot within the next, 30 days, I think they're, or they're always looking at 30 days out. Once I got a response that was like, we got a slot next week. I'm like, okay, I'll hurry. He'll scramble. <laughs> Usually it's a little bit more than that. If you don't get it, you can resubmit in like 60 or 90 days. There's some rules on the, on the site about how often you can submit your book to BookBub. It's good to do when you have a certain number of reviews or some credibility because it, they really want to know that their books they're offering to their users are good. And so they're looking for all that social proof. So if you've run won an award recently, 
throw that in there in, in the in the extra notes. Hey, this just won the thus and such award. I mean, toss that in there. Get your reviews up. Get your editorial reviews on there. I mean, this should be as as just beautiful as you can make it when you send it to them. And then once you've had one, you can't resubmit that book for a year. It's very hard to get repeat deals on them because you've already saturated some of that audience for the people interested in your in that book. Back to that fourth in your list of three of the four things you can choose to do and you ought to be doing, and that is in real life events, the IRL. What does marketing look like for book marketing specifically look like for IRL? Can you give some strategies for making the most of those public yeah. appearances? Yeah, public appearances. There's They're speaking at events. There's IRL could also be sort of the traditional retail channels. And what I want to talk about here is something that I'm I'm working on more myself, which is, for example, I, my most recent book is about writing voice. It's about how you express your creative voice in your writing. And I want to approach university and college writing centers with it because that seems like a match, right? So it's sort of in real life. I'm actually going to reach out to people offer them the book to look at, say, would you like to buy some bulk books? And I'm thinking of discounting the print ones sold via bulk. I have now seven books on writing. So it's like put together as much as you want to get the quantity discount over 10. I'll I'll discount it for your writing center. So I'm going to try to do that. So that's semi in real life. It's like a, you know, reaching out to a person, to a specific person. So there's the real world part of that. Bulk sales is not something I've decoded yet, but I certainly want to because I try in my book marketing to look for those points of leverage. I could spend time trying to convince a lot of individuals to buy my book, or I could spend time with somebody who has the trust of a lot of individuals and then will recommend the book and do that work for me. Or I could, you know, I could spend time trying to sell one book, or in this case, I could spend time trying to sell 10 to a college writing center where students see it and professors see it and it kind of gets that additional add-on effect. You get word of mouth recommendations. And so look for those points of leverage where you can maybe get your book in a position where it other people help you share it and find your audience. So can you talk a little bit about what surprises nonfiction writers most when they start their marketing journey? I know you've been talking around it. I did some research a couple of years ago. I've surveyed more than 400 nonfiction authors mostly published if you were still in process. And then so I asked the the published ones, what was the biggest surprise? What did you not expect from this? And what would you do differently? And these were free form questions. But when I looked at the themes that came up in, in those questions, marketing, marketing was the top theme. People were surprised how much marketing there was to do, what they do differently was start earlier. They were surprised that their publisher didn't market it for them, which they don't. So marketing is the thing that catches us all by surprise. And even me, so I wrote my first book. I was a marketer. The book was about marketing. Still, there's always that little voice in your head going, so yeah, but I'm just going to put this out there and it's going to be like, whoa, this is a fucking take off. You know, if you build it, they will come. We just so, so want that to be true. And it's not. The biggest surprise is is that this is just something we now need to inhabit. We thought that writing the book 
was the hard part. I like to give this analogy. It's like a friend invites you to do this swim swim race. So you go, you do the race. It's open water. It's really hard. You get out. You're like, oh, thank heavens. And they're like, okay, there's the bike. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, this is a triathlon, didn't you know? So I think the author comes out of, I finished the book. Oh, thank heavens. And now we're handing them the bike and then they're going to run. Nobody told me this was a triathlon. So no going into it that it's a, it's a long event. Maybe it's an Ironman. I don't know. But not painful. But not painful. It should be fun. And so the biggest surprise is really just, first of all, how much there is to do. And second, that, that nobody's giving them the formula. I mean, how come nobody's giving me the formula for this? I mean, can I Google this? How do you market a book? And that's the other issue is that there's no single right answer that it will be different based on the books and your abilities. You know, I worked with a client recently who published a book, wonderful book on fostering independence and supporting independence in children and adults with Down syndrome. And I wrote a book on writing voice. Clearly, the marketing plans for these two books need to be really radically different. His skills, my skills, the audience, everything. He's out working with Down syndrome associ associations and talking to people. He's got a community. I'm talking to to writers group. Really, really different approaches. I can't give you the magic formula for your book. We have to, as writers, be as creative in marketing our books as we were in writing them. The marketing is simply an extension of the work that we did in the book. If you think of yourself as a servant author, it's an extension of it. But it's hard to see sometimes that creativity for our own books. One thing I've done recently, and I'm thinking of doing more of this, get together with your author friends because it is so much easier to see creative possibilities for other people's books than your own. So I was teaching a class at a writing extension. At the end of it, we just had a, a quick thing and I had people, okay, raise your hand, tell me what your book is about and I'll give you a marketing idea and we'll brainstorm some. And just the group came up with the craziest but really interesting ideas. I would love to, you know, just get people to do this for each other. Other marketers to say, okay, how should I approach this book? Well, have you thought of talking to these people? You know, I mean, just... Thinking outside the box, thinking creatively about how to serve our audience is is the key. And when you approach it creatively as an experiment, it can be a lot of fun. And that's that's how I really, really like authors to think about this is, hey, this is really fun. Let's figure out what works. Let's experiment. You've used the word marketing should be fun now quite a few times and it shouldn't be painful. So what do you say to those people who say this is painful and I don't think it's ever going to be painless? Is it to find that community to support you? What is it? How can you make it fun? You recognize the difference between tactics and strategies. So tactics are things you need to do. This, this, this. You got to be on TikTok. You got to be doing this and you're going to be bombarded with tactics. Tactics are tiring, strategies are sustaining. So if somebody gives you a bunch of tactics, and I hear this all the time, you know, I have had people tell me I need to create writing videos on TikTok. It's like, that sounds fun. But right now that doesn't fit, first of all, my what I'm comfortable doing and my strategies of how I'm approaching this. You can only do what you're comfortable doing as much as you're doing you want to be able to keep writing, right? You want to you want to stay sane. You want to stay healthy. You want to keep writing. Those things are much more important. 
reframe the way you're thinking about it. Focus on your strategy, which is getting in the book and hands of the people who are going to find value in it. Focus on that. Focus your strengths and things that make you grow and look for community and stop measuring your success by other authors' success. It's simply different. The books are different. Just don't don't do that to yourself. Just focus on serving the people you serve. So what do you say to an author who says, so how do I measure my success if it's not looking at a comp in my category and seeing how it's done? You know, I, I track my book numbers. Of course I do, right? Because I, I want to know what's working and what's not. So I, I'm tracking it. I, I try to only really track the sales monthly because it's just not healthy to, unless I'm in the middle of a promotion, it's just not healthy to track them any more than that. But success comes when I read the emails that, of, or I hear from somebody who says, oh my gosh, this book has had such an impact on me. And the more your book is out in the world, the more you just bump into those things. I was on a, a podcast interview with someone recently who I didn't know it all. She says, I love your book. I recommend it to my coaching clients. I'm so excited. I'm like, okay, I didn't know that, but that really helps. Or people say, this book really helped me. That, my friend, is success. That's the reason why you're doing this, right? If, if you focus on your writing the book to serve other people, then the success, your success is their success. And that's what you need to focus on. How much, if any, quote, PR, unquote, should you do during that first month to three months of the launch of your book? And how do you do it in a way that is affordable? This is such a heated discussion. I'm a group of hundreds of authors who've had this back and forth over press, PR, publicity, pub, you know, should you hire a publicist? I think there's limited cases in which it's worth investing in it. Usually if you're, it's not just about the book, but it's about a platform that you are a speaking platform and a consulting expertise kind of thing then maybe there's a business case for hiring it out. If you're really just trying to pitch your book, the, the general feedback I've gotten from everyone was, it's like, well, publicity doesn't really sell books, right? So let's just, I mean, for some people it does, but, and a lot of what the publicists apparently will do sometimes is just give you assignments to write a lot of articles and go on podcasts. And you yourself can find the podcasts and pitch them, you yourself if, you know, budget is an issue, I, I, you yourself find the podcast, go talk to them, pitch them, find the guest blog opportunities, cultivate relationships with thought leaders in your space, have them share. I mean, Jane Friedman has been so lovely to put an excerpt from one of my books on her blog on publication day. You know, she has a big readership. So that's, that's my little micro kind of publicity I'm doing is working with other people, build relationships. Get out there and, and do the talking about it. And again, just keep in mind, you're doing this for that reason of getting this in front of the people who need it. I'm not saying never do it, but I'm just saying if you have a budget, let's say you're going to put $1,000 towards book promotion at launch, which you could spend really quickly with a publicist. I don't think you can hire one for $1,000 probably. I would rather see you spend time thinking about who are all the thought leaders in your space big old honking box of author copies, write personal notes, send the book to all those thought leaders about why they made an impact on you. Here's the book. Would you like to give it away to your blog? I'd love to be on your blog. Just let the book do the marketing. It would be a lot more work for you, but it may be way more effective 
if you get the book into the hands of hundreds of people who influence thousands of people, right? Isn't that going to be a powerful alternative to trying to do a scattershot publicity campaign? I love that. And it goes back to letting the book do marketing for you, which means having a well-written book and being a servant with your book. So any advice in closing that you can offer about writing a great book? What makes a book great is how well it meets the needs of the people you're trying to reach. So take the time to focus, to revise, to tighten, focus your even at the very beginning when you're envisioning the book. Too often I've had authors come to me, it's like, well, I want to write a book on this topic, so it needs to look like all the other books on that topic on my bookshelf, which is, you know, it has to be 300 pages and it has to have, it's like, well, does it? What is it that your reader really needs? A lot of the books that we have on our shelves are artifacts of a different publishing world than we live in now and, and of a different world than which we live in now. So think about what they need and then go back and revise, get professional help, you know, really do the work to make sure that the book really represents you and your ideas well in the world. The counterpart, of course, is don't let perfectionism keep you from publishing. Now, that's a powerful note to end on. And we are so grateful for your time and wisdom today. And it's been such a joy to have you. You've offered some fresh metaphors for me to frame things for the authors with which we work. And it's just been really delightful. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy talking about books and authors and marketing. All right, let's turn to our words of the episode before we sign out and say goodbye. And I will go first. And mine is ether. And I was trying to write a sentence yesterday for some work. And I put that in a sentence and I went and looked it up. I'm like, oh, I'm using this word totally wrong. And so it was one of those situations where I thought I knew the word, but it meant something completely different. And I knew that it had this, this meaning rooted in chemistry. It's a pleasant smelling colorless volatile liquid that is highly flammable. Then there's the more literary interpretation, which is the clear sky, the upper regions of air beyond the clouds, like the nasty gases and smoke disperse into the ether. And I guess it could be used in a literary sense of like the balloon or our hopes disappeared into the ether. So that is my word. And I hope that I pronounce it right and also use it right in the future. What is your word of the episode, Dave? My word of the episode is scablands. That brings up a specific image in my mind. (laughs) Scablands. So this comes from Cormac McCarthy. He's one of my favorite writers who died not too long ago. He was in his late 80s. So scablands, I think it came out of No Country for Old Men, or else it came out of The Blood Meridian, which was another one of his great books. But scablands, so it's a descriptive word. It's flat, elevated lands, deeply scarred by channels of glacial or fluvial glacial origin, and with poor soil and little vegetation. So a lot of his writing has to do with the Southwest, Northern Mexico, Southwestern United States, at least some of his novels do. So I'm sure that that word came out of one of those books. I've read so many of his, I can't remember where I got that, but Scablands. So the flat elevated land, deeply scarred by channels of glacial or 
fluvial glacial origin. So that's interesting because scab lands, of course, you think of like a scab, which is kind of a scar. So it will be easy for me to remember it with that, that memory device. You can almost envision it when you look across the the plain and see scab lands, you know, these deeply scarred channels. All right. I love doing these podcast episodes. I always learn something new and always love just hearing how other people approach things. Until next time, Dave and I are going to sign off by saying what we always do. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write. (laughs) 